Hey everyone, Michael Waltrip here for Waltrip Unfiltered. I'm coming to you from my beautiful home studio, the Dale Earnhardt Studio, and today a very special guest. Again, as always, I'm having so much fun doing the podcast because of the folks I get to chat with and learn more about. Today's guest is Chris Myers. He's been on Fox NASCAR for 20 years, been there from the beginning with Fox in 2001 and still continues to show up at the races. Love Chris Myers, love his energy, love his jokes. He has a lot of one-liners. He'll share his favorite one-liners with us. He's gonna talk not only NASCAR, but in NBA, NFL, MLB, all of his coverage that he's uh, done over the years. A amazing career. We'll talk about his highlights, his best moments, and there's some lowlights too along the way. He's gonna share all those with you right now on Waltrip Unfiltered. Well, I'm honored. My guest today on Walter Unfiltered is Chris Myers. We've worked side by side for many years now, and it's always a pleasure to see your smiling face. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm hanging in there. Always fun working with you. You're a good sport. You know, we kid, we care. You were fun, obviously, when you were driving. We got to interview you and talk to you uh, when Fox uh, first came to, to NASCAR and then, of course, transitioning into, into broadcasting. So it's, uh, it's been a fun ride. And, and I, I really think, you know, NASCAR, Michael, did a great job this year. Sports were all shut down, and, and, and somebody had to take steps forward between Fox and, and NASCAR, the drivers, the, the owners. They did a real nice job of giving fans something to take their mind off all that was going on in the world and, and kind of pushed it forward. So I, uh, I really appreciate that. As somebody just sitting at home watching, it was important to all of us. Yeah, and I think uh, – I'm, I'm glad you said that because I think Jim France and Steve Phelps, they, you know, they figured it out in a hurry – Obviously, it's a little bit different than stick and ball sports because we don't have to, to, to brush up against each other. But they figured out a way to go racing, and it was refreshing. And it's been a really fun season so far. And, Chris, this is crazy to say, but in the month of August in NASCAR, there's going to be seven races. So yes. we're going we're gonna to ramp it up and race right to the playoffs and, and looking forward to, to seeing how it all unfolds. I know I've missed you on the coverage of the races. You've been you've – been yeah, I've been uh, I've been busy doing you know waiting out baseball, football, and and just like in NASCAR, I I think when you put a broadcaster a sport together under these circumstances, it is all about adjust. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, adjusting. And I think the people, viewers at home and those watching understand, you know, you may have to change things, put in new rules, or it's not gimmicky in this case. It's just trying to make it safe and enjoyable for everybody under the circumstances. So I, so I think people uh, accept that. And uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of miss being on the scene, the old Hollywood Hotel, but things changed. The home office has done well in Charlotte and still, of course, the Daytona 500 every year. It's one of the special uh, events in all of sports, not just in, in auto racing or in, or in NASCAR. So it's still nice to be uh, to be a part of it, but keeping a close eye on, on what has been a crazy world, uh, not only in sports, but just a crazy world in general in 2020. Well, you, you mentioned your involvement in the Daytona 500 for the last 20 years with NASCAR on Fox, but um, your resume is amazing from Super Bowls to the, the Final Four, World Series, um, you name it, you've, you've covered it. Um, and I, I have some intimate knowledge about you as a kid running around <laughs> your house with a, with a hairbrush interviewing your family because that's what you wanted to do. Um, Try to explain to people watching 
what what a ride it's been for you. Some of the some of the ups and ups and mostly ups throughout your yes. career. <laughs> well, you know, and it's and it's funny, Michael, how it's changed. You know, broadcasting just in general. As a kid, you know, we didn't have growing up. We didn't have. A, a channel for every sport you know we didn't have the kind of coverage and and the amount of networks uh, so th and radio tv social media streaming things change along the way so if you get in like you guys if you get in the driving or with cars something you like it's not a job because you want to do it all the time and yeah that was you know my father worked you know he was a guy who served in the world war ii he grew up in the depression so uh he worked two jobs we didn't have five kids on the, and, and i would take uh he'd have to get up early in the morning to go work and i but i would usually at night take his toothbrush in the shower and then you know yell out announce some home run calls and, you know, here they come down the finish line and it's a touchdown and i but i wouldn't put this toothbrush back i just kind of drop it in the shower to be in the drain and so i'd hear at four in the morning waking up yelling like what is chris doing an announcing thing again where's my toothbrush is it you know so anyway these these memories stick with you as years go by but uh no it's been a lot of fun i, I and i like you know people say well what sport is better than you know you grow up around certain sports but it really is about the people and i, I you hear drivers athletes coaches tell you this when they leave the game that's what they miss the most and that's what you really enjoy through the most because it, it is a lot of you know the same kinds of things competition interaction somebody wins somebody loses who overcomes adversity uh the the people's stories so that's really what you know I, I, tv and sports are really what you know or media and sports whether it be radio and sports kind of drove me as a, as a kid it, that was really my passion as much as i love uh sports i never really wanted to be and i wasn't a great athlete I, or, or a driver or anything like that but i wanted to talk about it and i wanted to talk to the people who were really good at it and and fortunately been able to do that for uh, you know from a teenager from calling in on a radio show and, and getting on uh before i was out of high school all the way to where we are now yeah i read uh, on the old internet about your 16 year old radio show or being a part of a radio show and some of the celebrities that you uh, and sports personalities you were able to interview do you have a favorite memory as a kid something that really stuck out when you uh, sports is great but it's about people for me like i would like to right. know the yeah. do you remember a, a certain moment as a 16 year old kid that you were like man this is something yeah, well, I mean, the two, I mean, think about this to start out, and I realize there's a generation of, of fans, but uh, you're, you're talking about two of the best ever, what they did. Two of the first people I ever interviewed as a 16-year-old was Don Shula, the only coach to have an undefeated team with the Dolphins and the winningest coach ever. And may he rest in peace out in, in Miami. And a, and a boxer, I remember they sent me over uh, with a tape recorder, go over to the Fountain Blue Hotel and then the Fifth Street Gym in Miami Beach. There's there's this fighter named Muhammad Ali who's really entertaining and he's got a little press conference and just see if you can get a question in there and what stood out. So this is one of my the first or second, it's probably the second first interview I did and I was nervous, but there were people around and I, you know, I was in high school and I, I asked a question and I remember Ali saying, uh, you know, you're not as dumb as you look, uh, make sure you stay in school or, or something like that. Everybody laughed and I just, you know, that was, and at the time, I, I, I it's just funny, this guy is great, he's clever. I didn't know he was the greatest. And, I, and, and then later you realize uh, the magnitude of, of the moment. And from that, uh, I, I don't think I was ever intimidated interviewing anybody down through the years, whether it was Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Muhammad Ali, uh, Joe, I mean, Mike Tyson, uh, wh whoever, you know, Barry Bonds, uh, Mike Trout. So, so those were some early uh, moments. And, and it's funny, Michael, now there's a lot of different ways when I, I speak at, at schools or young people in broadcasting and encourage them to kind of pursue this business, if that's their passion, that I, I began by calling in 
when I was supposed to be doing my homework, and I was on the side, but as such a sports fan, I was listening to sports talk radio, and I would call in, you know, they had that one, that rule, you could one caller a night, you know, they didn't want you to, to, to repeat, so I would be Chris from Miami, they didn't have color ID that I'd, I'd call back later and disguise my voice a little. And, and I had a deep voice as and be Duke from North Miami. And I would get on the air and I'd agree with my earlier call with Chris. And so I had this going for, for about a year and they had fan night WKAT radio in Miami beach. And they invited some of the regular callers to come down to the studio and, and kind of be part of a, of a sports discussion. And so I, you know, my father had to drive me down there and, and I had to tell him I was the same guy. I thought they were going to be angry with me. And they were like, well, no, that's all right, kid. If you want to work here part time, you can in between. I didn't have my license yet, but eventually when I got it. So that's kind of that was my break in the radio uh, before I then went through college and, and got onto television and the rest of it. So uh, a different time, but but there's a lot of ways to get into the business. And then you got to work real hard to stay, to stay in it. So did you, you showed up as Chris and Duke at that? And, right, oh, yeah, I got, yes. I got some that's what they do. <laughs> That's what they said. Yeah, my, I said to my dad, what should I tell him? He said, well, first you're going to have to tell him you're a lying little brat. I'm like, dad, come on, go easy on me. Uh, but he said, be honest with him. And, and they were receptive to that. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people, Michael, along the way, I'm sure, you know, I hear this from athletes, drivers who are successful in any business behind the scenes, people that make decisions at the moment to give you an opportunity uh, to do what you want to do. And, and I had those, whether it was a producer here or somebody helping me to get my FCC license to, to be an engineer, then to get on the air. And, and you never forget, you know, those people as years go by, whether they be more recent in network television or back in your local TV or, or radio roots. Well, you know, you're known for your one-liners. And I'm just curious, uh, after listening to your story about Muhammad Ali, when he said you're not as dumb as you look, did you think, Oh, that's pretty funny. I got to come up with some of those. <laughs> well, I did. I did react. Uh, to, I saw the way the you know the writers and everybody you know Ali and that he he really held court with his as great a fighter as he was. He was also a terrific speaker and talk and entertainer. I mean, he was. He had the quick the quick wit. So I did notice that. But I, I would say my, my love for it, a sense of humor coming from a big family, you tease each other, right? That goes on. But I, I also watched a lot of not only sports as, as a kid and listened to radio, but I, I enjoyed, you know, talk shows, watching stand-up comedians, that type of thing. And, and I did that thing that I, I know a lot of kids do when they're younger, they, you know, when the relatives are there for Thanksgiving or you gather, if you can, you know, I can repeat a few lines from the monologue of the Tonight Show the night before and it's topical and they all laugh. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm in with the adults. You know, and then they're like, all right, go play with the rest of the kids. So, so that humor kind of thing. And I always have to be careful with that because you never want to offend people or make fun of people. And you know, I tease you a lot, but that's just part. That means when I say I can because I care, it really does mean that if I, if, if I didn't really care about that, I would just ignore you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a comment about your hair or your, or your driving or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you, but you've told me several times uh, I kid with you because I don't care. Yeah, well, that was, yeah, because I want, I want to dig a little further. You can take it. I, I know you can. Having grown up with Daryl Waltrip, I know you can take it. You know what? So, One, I, have to, uh, I, have, I have a confession to make. I use all the time, okay, listen, let me do the jokes around here. Right, okay. right, okay. okay. I mean, that's, that's my favorite. That deserves a wow. That's a good one yeah. as well. But right. when I when I'm in, and like a caddy, you know, you're playing golf and the caddy always has to try to think he's funny. 
and I just right. shut them down. I said, "Look, right. you just be a caddy, and I'm going to do the jokes, and that we'll get along right. fine that way." Exactly. I, it's just a one. It, it was a kind of a um, that might have come from a Don Rickles thing, you know, like, "Hey, you're getting on my nerves" or whatever. But I and I remember it at uh, in New York, the grand announcement of FS1, and our boss Eric Shanks talking and he, uh, about us coming on the air with the audience, and he said something about you know he tried to say we you know something about you know, Chris was funny in second grade, and he's still there or something like that. And so when I came out, I said, "I'll do the jokes. You, you just run the network." You know, it was kind of so it just comes that, that even to the boss, you got to be careful. But it is. It's a great look, and that's why we say these things because they fit and I don't uh, people use them I, I you know we borrowed phrases and things I mean I know most of these came from real situations of you either watching a game with a buddy or dealing with your family and and uh, you know the, the, the kid because I care is you you know you're jabbing somebody but you really don't you don't want to be mean but of course you're you're, you're teasing them so it, it gets you off the hook just just a little bit but I'm glad I'm glad you it's, it's for you have a great sense of humor which is why we had so much fun uh, you know working together if you're not if you're not laughing look we've all had great uh, difficulties in our lives and had to overcome things. I, I mean, but if you're not laughing at least once a day or, or making other people laugh, I, uh, that I, I, don't, I don't think you're really living. No, and I agree. I, I know that um, you, you, you did a little stand-up comedy and, and I did as well. And part of my, part of my stand-up was I told the audience when I first started, I'd say, you know, I'm funny accidentally. I'm not funny on purpose. And being a stand-up comedy comedian is being funny on purpose. <laughs> That's really hard. Yes, it is hard. It's and that's why, and it's a tough. You know, I dabbled in that in college. It's like people always say, "I'm a great. I can sing. You know, I'm a great singer." And but I don't sing in front of people. I can only sing in the shower. You know, it's real. Well, that, that's great. You're you're not going to make a living that way. So, uh, and I, you know, look, it's it, you, you have to be funny in, in spots. But if you're just enjoying your life, then I think you have a sense of humor. And uh, yeah, you've always you've always had that. So uh, so that's good. And I and it's, and it's helped me through a lot of a lot of difficult times. But and sometimes you have to read the room. If somebody, I, I know you. You have too. If we, if you try something that we think is funny, but not everybody's laughing, or that person is not in the mood, then you're right away. You're like, move on. Okay, let's. We know this isn't the time to try to be funny. Uh, so, in relationships, that also can cause problems. But it's good. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I always enjoyed your your wit and also your professionalism. And and I'll be honest, I was I've done this podcast for a year and a half now, and I I'm not. I don't feel like I'm an interview guy. I, I, I enjoy conversation. And so I was a little bit nervous after all that you've accomplished and, and all you've done. And <laughs> I was a little bit nervous, even talking to my friend, hoping that I would do it right. So I did some research and, and, uh, and I, I feel like that I know more about you now than I used to. And I think that's great. Uh, this podcast has given me a chance to get to know my friends even better because a lot of times, you know, you just, you don't, you don't really have a conversation about anything that matters. You're just sort of talking about life or talking about the racing and it just doesn't work. And, and this is a good chance to just to, to, to be able to chat with a buddy. Good. Well, no, and I, you've always been, as I said, even when you were a driver and then into broadcasting, which made you a natural, I, I think somebody who is easy in conversation. And that's what I've always found as an interviewer. And there's different types of interviews, you know, you know, whether it's 60 minutes or it's a guy after a game where it's got to be quick, it's a lengthy sit down where you're, uh, but uh, in that format, and that's what's great about podcasts and, and radio and, 
and the online or streaming Facebook, you have time to do these things. But I, I always prefer a conversation. I think you, you, you get to know people better and they reveal more uh, that they want to reveal comfortably in a, in a conversation. So that's good. But yeah, you're right. Usually it's funny how we work together, work with people so many years, but there's always a meeting here and we're getting ready here and we're talking about the show or we're talking about the race or the event and, and you don't have a lot of time. Even if you go out to dinner or something in between or get lunch, you're still talking about what's going on at the track or, or what events you're covering. Well, I'm going to dig deep here, and, and uh, I hope you're ready for this, but I understand that you have a passion, a deep love for pickleball now. How did that Pickle develop? <laughs> yeah, well, pickleball, and I thought, I thought it was for old people. And I had no offense to the senior crowd because, you know, we're all getting older uh, every day. We get a little, but it's, uh, I, I played a lot of sports when I was younger, uh, not ever trying to be the all-star, but just for the activity, and then golf and tennis and you know, basketball. And then you get to the half-court game for a good workout. I know you run a marathon and you golf. So, so pickleball, some, some people out here, and when I've been on the road and out in California, Florida, Arizona, where it took off, and I, I thought, you know, it was just a bit like a, I don't know, something for retirees, but there's a college crowd that's really, they've, they've changed the game a little bit. The, what I like is that you can play if you're 70 or 80 and usually doubles, you can play singles, but it's a, it's essentially a, a shrunken tennis court, a little, a little ping pong, badminton kind of tennis, uh, kind of a wiffle ball thing, but there's an area where you can't go into unless the ball drops. You can't just stay at the net and smash it. Somebody who's, who's angular and it's a good workout. And, and really with doubles, it's, it's kind of a, a neat little partnership of style. You can spin the ball or but you still have to keep it in the court or you can hammer away at it and, and try to uh, drill people so it's it's a it's a good exercise workout people like uh, Jimmy Johnson the coach uh, of uh, the former coach of the Cowboys on Fox uh, Urban Meyer these are people I find out who play uh, and have played uh, along the way and it's easy you just need a paddle and a ball and if you're traveling you're on the road you find out where there's pickleball courts and they seem to be growing more and more tennis people are getting a little offended by it but it's a it's a good it's a good workout and it's a good social thing you don't have to schedule too much uh, you know or four or five hours for a round of golf you can get out there for an hour get a good workout then, then hustle on to work or, or your next uh, meeting so yeah I enjoy it I, I I really do I enjoy it I've had some uh some problems uh you know, from a knee injury playing basketball years ago, which slowed me, uh, but I'll get over that. It's, it's not that athletic. I should be able to handle it. So tell me about a typical night in the boo. Is it pickleball and then your wife cooks dinner? Is she a good cook? <laughs> My wife's cooking, let me tell you. No, uh, I, well, I don't live in Malibu necessarily. I live outside oh. of L.A. County. So, but, I, but I drive towards the beach in Malibu where, you know, where the, the high-rent district where all the celebrities are, just so I can kind of rub elbows uh, with them when I'm home. Because you, as you know, Michael, between football, baseball, whether it's the Westminster Dog Show or the Daytona 500, I'm, I'm often traveling. Uh, for for my job, so uh, I, I look. I grew up in Florida. I'm a, I'm a warm weather guy. So I, my family, a lot of family, as you know, in North Carolina, in the Asheville area, and have, have purchased property there. Where I, I, you know, one day will reside at least part of part of the time each year, depending upon where I'm, uh, my assignments are. Um, but I, yeah. So any anything near the near the water, near the mountains, uh, outdoor. I'm an outdoor kind of a guy. I would I would eat outside. So I'd, I'd sleep outside without a tent if if the weather was nice enough. Uh, so but things have changed recently with COVID-19. Obviously, it's affected all of us, you know, socially, uh, restaurants, jobs. And, and I, feel, I feel for people because it, it has had a very uh, detrimental and, and negative effect. And so we have to stay as positive as we can, even if you're overlooking a, a beautiful beach that you're not, they don't want you to swim at or gather at, at least under the current uh, circumstances. Well, you mentioned the times, uh, but today, um, 
there's 15 major league baseball games. That's, that's your world right now. Right. And understanding what all is going in on those games. One thing that I thought was pretty cool, like after two or three days of baseball, no one had won every game and no one had not won a game. I mean, that's a pretty interesting start to the season. How do you see MLB what's going to happen in 2020 with all the craziness? I don't, I, I would like to get an idea of your professional opinion of where it's headed. And what Yes, the, uh, the the observation right away that we didn't have, and this is, you know, the first week or so, they were actually the first, right, first four games, we didn't have anybody who was perfect or anybody who was winless, I think says something about the competitive balance, even though the Dodgers and the Yankees are, are the favorites they were before, they, they are in a short season, long season for a World Series, but this is a different season, just like NASCAR and what we expect from the NFL and college football, assuming they get to play, that things are going to be a little bit different, and so maybe teams that are a little less talented but do some other things right or don't have health issues uh, can take advantage of that. Uh, the unfortunate part for baseball, the first four days went well, and then you had a Miami Marlins team where nearly half the players tested positive. So it doesn't just affect that team. It's who they're going to play. Uh, is the protocol okay? How did we get it? As you were talking before with NASCAR, obviously the driver, there's some smaller numbers in isolation with baseball. Talking about the guys on the field, even if the reserves are spread out of the dugout or up at the stands, uh, it, it does affect uh, the competitive balance Will we all play the same amount of games. So I give baseball credit and the NFL, they, they couldn't operate, or at least with the numbers of players uh, under the bubble like the NBA. And, and hockey are doing and similar to the NASCAR situation but just because somebody tests positive is, is you try to correct whatever you can but you, you still have to push on in the season I think to close it down and that's one of the reasons I think they've waited so long in baseball between the players union and the owners they want to make it as safe as they can but they also want to be ready um, Michael for whatever is next and, and look even the science and medical people don't know what's next so whatever it is we, we have to react to it and and I do think and I've always felt this way that sports like it's survival especially baseball, world wars, depression, I mean, hurricanes and 9-11. It, 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 yeah, we don't need it like food and water and air, but in our country, it's a place to rally. It's where people come together, even if physically they can't be together. It gets your mind off not having a job or, or, or being short financially or, or having a relative who's, who's ill because of something in the hospital. So I, I think we do need it to, to uh, some degree. And I applaud the players, it's like we talked about NASCAR and, and, and the ownership, and the commissioners for doing the best they can under these uncertain circumstances uh, of trying to trying to make it work. So we'll have eventually, I knock on wood, some kind of baseball playoff system and a champion. And people say, well, it'll be tainted. I, I look at it just like NASCAR. They, we'll look back on this. Whoever the champion is in a year like this, and and you'll you know you've been through these. It'll be such an unusual year that I think you're a special champion. I don't think it should be tainted. I, I think how if you win it, you win it uh, under the the circumstances, and and hopefully. We'll be able to crown a NASCAR champ, a baseball champ, a Super Bowl champion, et cetera. That, that, all those topics bring me to a question. I'd, I'd like to know what all's in, in that brain because I talked earlier about, you know, you're, you're doing it in MLB now and we're, we're preparing for NFL uh, soon and the dog show and golf. How, how do you support it? Like, how, how do you decide, okay, it's time to think about football, or, or is, is it just always evolving? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I think, Michael, that, that was ingrained early as a, as a youngster. I was a fan of a lot of sports. Some I was closer to because they were on TV more or I was around them more. 
but I, I would go from one season to the next, uh, whether it was, you know, spring baseball and fall football. And the Daytona 500 set a tone in, in, in February for, for the NASCAR season, uh, you know, the NBA ending the summer, the championship. So uh, that's what I do as a fan. So even though I don't cover all of those as a, as a broadcaster haven't, I, I like, some people like just one sport. I, I think I'd, I'd get bored with that for the entire year. I, I, so I, I like doing a, a couple of different sports because I'm a fan of them or even new sports, a, a new challenge, whether it's something like the Westminster Dog Show where you, it's a one-time big event, uh, you know, kind of like covering a, if you isolate a Super Bowl or, you know, they say the Super Bowl of, of racing or the Super Bowl of dog shows, uh, it, it has a special uh, challenge to it as, as a fan and a broadcaster. So I, I guess I, I compartmentalize for what the, the season is or if there's overlap, it's kind of what, what the moment, what the day is or the week is. If it's football, I'm learning the roster numbers to do play-by-play or work the field in the, in the playoffs. If it's the Daytona 500, I'm zeroing in on having you or Jeff Gordon on the set or talking about the drivers or what, what, what's in the show or getting people ready for the great American race. And if it's baseball, for example, for Fox or FS1 doing some studio work now on a limited basis with our games, uh, then, then it's more, okay, that night are we talking about, you know, the Yankees? Are we talking about the Dodgers and Astros having issues off of that scandal from cheating in the World Series uh, 2017? So as long as you constantly are staying up on things, and that's what I'm doing as a job, but, but, but also as a, as a fan in my daily life, I, then, then I think it's a little bit easier when you have to attack that, that certain event or that certain assignment uh, at that time. Well, that certain assignment when it's the Westminster Dog Show, I think there's about how many breeds of dogs are there? Three hundred or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's over three hundred that are accepted into uh, yeah into, and then they they narrow it down of the seven groups. You know, you get seven winners, and then and then you get the uh, and then you get the best in show, the one dog. You know, it's interesting the judges that they and they have great experience. Uh, but the judge who makes the final call on Best in Show is sequestered through the whole thing, like a, like at a court or a jury, so he doesn't see all the other stuff that we lead up. So he's not he or she is not influenced by by the other uh, categories or things that have been said during the the two day event, uh, which is out which is outstanding. So yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really unique event. I I watched it for years, and then when FS1 and, and Fox got it, it was great to to be a part of it, having been kind of a, a dog person my whole life. Do you, you think it's controversial <clears throat> at all or, 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 or just something that you're, you're having a hard time accepting that the Cocker Spaniel has never won? Or so the well, I think well the golden retriever uh, first of all, which is American, <laughs> yeah, the, is the most popular dog and hasn't won. How did that happen? I I don't know that. But the judges, this is what I don't know how they they talk about measuring the dog against the breed standard. So it's almost like a template on, on your, your race car, right? That's perfect. So does this German Shepherd fit the perfect German Shepherd template? Does this Chihuahua or Retriever fit this perfect? And so once you get that, that's how you win a group. But then I, to the judge, that's the heart. That's where it's like, well, then how do you compare a German Shepherd to a Retriever to, you know, the toy group to the working group? Uh, you got to pick one out of that. So they're really all, all winners. But yeah, there has been, there has been controversy before, just like in, in NASCAR, there are rules where someone who who was a, they worked with a judge before in breeding and they didn't disclose that information and so that dog had to be disqualified or they they came up with a different term that was less offensive but there's always those kinds of things that go on in, in competition and what's great about that event is in america it's the second longest running 
competition after the Daytona 500, uh, over 140 years of having uh, the Westminster Kennel Club uh, dog show. And what I like too, Michael, is what I try to bring, because there's experts, uh, uh, you know, you grow up with dogs, you don't, you don't have to have the, the purebred dog with, you know, that's going to be in show. You can just, whatever your uh, rescue dog or mutt, whatever you want to call it, you can still watch and, and, and enjoy uh, how people treat, and these dogs are treated like, you know, top flight athletes at a, at a sporting event. Uh, you can still appreciate uh, the different breeds and the way that uh, the dogs are shown. I'm amazed too how they get along when they're in the arena at, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, they're just so well behaved and so well trained. Well, we talked about times are difficult and different uh, right now. You have uh, recently come up with a game show. That's a lot of fun. I was able to, to be on your game show, home game, the other day. Took down Clint Boyer. Uh, very entertaining. Uh, that just something that you said, well, I, I think this would be fun. Yeah, and you, you and Clint were terrific at what makes the show with our Zoom home and under our current uh, conditions here is, is people kind of know each other and can tease each other. It's not just a multiple choice answer and I'll, I'll show I'm smarter than you about sports and, and pop culture. I, I've always been a fan of game shows, wanted to host a game show, kind of a, a hidden uh, you know, dream of mine. And we did some of this at the NFL on Fox seminar, but I've pitched it to different people before. And I thank FS1, uh, you know, Bill Richards, uh, producers that worked on the NFL pre-show, just like the NASCAR uh, pre-show, uh, race, race, pre-race show, I should say. And, and they finally, when we had no sports going on, I was like, can we get, so, you know, can we try this? Because it'll at least be a real competition. And we would get two people, you, know, you and Clint Boyer. We had Jeff, Jeff Gordon actually did the, the inaugural show against Brady Quinn. We had Urban Meyer against Jimmy Johnson. Uh, we had uh, Carissa Thompson against Aaron Andrews. Uh, Tom Izzo against Steve Mariucci. And, and so these are people who kind of know each other and can tease each other. And, and uh, Steve Garvey, Steve Sachs, a couple of former great Dodger and baseball players. And it's a you know, fun multiple choice kind of a thing. My, my original idea, Michael, was having it in a studio with an audience. And, and uh, yeah, obviously you do the best you can under circumstances. But I also got to do a baseball version of that for the Marquee Network, which carries the Cubs uh, broadcast. It's a regional network. They're new this year that I'll be a part of uh, doing things when, when uh, we have an opportunity in a regular season. Uh, but they also did a, did a version of that. But yeah, Fox Sports, the home game on hiatus at the moment because of our baseball coverage. But I appreciate you being on it. People liked it. I mean, I, I, you know, think of who wants to be a millionaire meets Jeopardy in kind of a fun way with two people is, is kind of the concept. So we hope we can continue it at, at, at some point. But people enjoyed it. And those that knew about it were able to watch it. Uh, speaking of Boyer, you did something fun on the NASCAR coverage with his little boy, Cash, kicking it with Cash and interviewed those kids. How much did you enjoy that? I mean, that was hugely popular. People loved it. Yeah, and I, that uh, we did that on the pregame a few years ago, Cash and, and, and Owen, and then added their, their, their sisters, part of their family. And I, I really appreciate because kids at that age, at four and five, and uh, you know, obviously having children myself and, and you, you have a daughter that, you know, you, at a young age, you never know what they're going to say, how they're going to react. And it was just a different way on a, on a NASCAR pre-show on a big platform like the Daytona 500 uh, to, to, to see. I don't know if people realize how the families travel with the drivers sometimes and the dogs and the, the lifestyle and, and how kids react to that and, and also how they enjoy playing with their cars and then 
watching cars race, and in this case, their dad's race. Uh, so they've become a big hit. I mean, it's under they, they people wanted to have their own show. It's it's uh, you know it's like uh, they've surpassed kids say the darndest things. And as they grew each year, we've kind of done it a few years. Uh, I'm always interested as they get more aware of the cameras and the attention, although they're naturals at it. And I appreciate their dads and moms uh, helping them uh, and helping us uh, put that together. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. That's one of the things I look forward to every time we get to do the show. I cannot wait to see it either because it's so entertaining. Chris, we have people that at Mikey is our hashtag on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, all over Fox Sports social media channel. And I got a few questions. If you don't mind, I'll ask you. Okay, sure. All right. My first one is from Will Jepson on Reddit. And he wants to know, how are you preparing for calling NFL games without fans in the stands? Yep. Good question, Will. And I know the NFL is trying in some stadiums to have limited fans that can be spaced out and safe, uh, but at least to create some natural sound noise. Uh, I'm preparing the same way that I would in terms of calling a game. We're going to like, we haven't made the official decision on Fox baseball. We've piped in some crowd noise, but I, I think I'm, I, I, the biggest adjustment is when the home team scores a fantastic touchdown. Usually as an announcer, you get the name, you call it, you let it go. And the crowd roars because you don't want to talk and, and enjoy the moment. So this is a little bit of a different thing. So uh, I'll try, you know, I'll see what the, the Fox model is as far as how much crowd noise there is, but I assume we'll have something. And I still think you'll try, or at least I will, to make it sound uh, without being artificial, as, as natural as we can under the circumstances. Uh, so it's not a video game or it's not something pre-planned, but, but it is as real as it can be without, if there, if there aren't fans in the stands at that particular game. But as far as the other research and the numbers of players and that type of thing, you'll prepare. And I'll probably, probably prepare a little more with the additional roster because there could be circumstances, uh, Michael and, and Will, where players that you thought were going to play at the last moment, something comes up, not just an injury, but, but obviously if somebody tests positive, then that, that guy is out and the, or those guys, if there's a large number and new players are brought in. So it expands a little bit of the research on that. Well, that kind of leads to my next question. Logan from Twitter wants to know, when you do uh, NFL games from the booth, you always say, and he's in for a Panthers touchdown. Uh, how, did, how did you come up? He wants to know, how did you come up with, with that saying? Because he loves it. Oh, good. Well, yeah, well, if he's a Panthers fan, I can see why. I don't, I don't know that I really – I don't have necessarily a signature call except that uh, I'm watching uh, – obviously, it looks like a touchdown, but in today's world of replay, you want to make sure. I'm also watching the official uh, in the corner of the end zone. If his arms go up and I see the ball cross the plane, I'll, I'll usually say, and it's going to be – sometimes I'm hesitating, waiting, because we're waiting for their call and making sure he holds onto the ball and crosses the, play, the plane of the goal line. It's going to be – uh, a Panthers touchdown or it's going to be uh, fourth and goal he just didn't get in so there's that kind of a little bit of a hesitation because you can always wait 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 what you don't want to do is call something and sometimes we're guilty the ref will call it a touchdown but then the replay will show hey he didn't cross the goal and it looked like it at, at first call so that's kind of just a natural uh, uh, call there actually but uh, it is I gotta say I, I get excited 
naturally when somebody scores or there's a big play, a big catch, you, you, you know, that, and that's what I like too. You can't, if you always ride your voice high in every play, you know me, every night's the Super Bowl. But if I say, if I say that every play, if my voice is screaming and yelling on a two or three yard gain, then you're going to lose the magnitude when a guy does have a 20 yard catch or, or a touchdown. So it's got to be kind of a natural flow as if you're, if you're watching with a fan. Um, speaking of, of touchdowns and victories, I, I watched again the video of you fighting your way to Tom Brady. That, that, I don't know. I know you've had ama amazing career moments, but your perseverance and determination to get that interview and then, and then Tom, you know, realizing you were, you were going to get that interview. That was yeah, that happen. was the – uh, yeah, Michael, that was one that, you know, you go from the booth and then in the postseason with Fox, I enjoy going with Troy Aikman and, and, and Joe Buck and, and Aaron Andrews to do the, the, the playoffs and then the Super Bowl when Fox has it, like we were there for the 49er Chiefs when Mahomes won. Uh, but that, a few, year, a few years back, the last Super Bowl Patriot, well, the Patriots defeated Atlanta and had that, that uh, you know, that great comeback, historic comeback, winning in overtime, being on the, assigned to that sideline. Game ends usually, uh, you know, as the, as the broadcast network, just like with any other event, you get a few moments with the star player before they set up the stage and have the Super Bowl trophy. But because this game went on and on and, and it went to overtime, they let other me international media, uh, everybody down to the field. So you're talking about hundreds of, I mean, this is probably more than thousand when you talk, plus family members, because there's going to be fun on the field. So they're all down there. And even though I had a as kind of a field producer with me. And I actually had a security person with me there to help on the sideline when the game ended at overtime, boom, that's the first thing you know, our producer, Richie Zayas is like, we, we got to get to Brady right away. I mean, it was an exhaustive, it was a terrific year for him, a lot going on. Uh, so I, I start to get to it, but, but it's like, <laughs> you know, you talk about how the seas part, well, the, the seas closed. It was like the field all of a sudden would pour it in with people. And it was like, I mean, it really it was wall to wall. So the, the security guy gets wiped out. The producer is lost. I'm sure the cameraman is trying to follow me and he's got this heavy equipment that he could bump heads with and people are bumping into him. There, there are security field on the people, but they can't, they don't hold back all of the, the outpouring of, of humanity onto the field. And, and every second matters. And, and, you know, in, in network television here. So I, I, to get to the sideline out to the goal line where Brady was, and he's exhausted just getting up after, after pulling off this, uh, this comeback. So I was just weaving and I realized too, our producer, we have, we have great technical crew, just like at NASCAR and baseball that we have an up a high camera up. So even if my cameraman's not with me, they can get a shot. And that, that was the shot they showed. I was kind of weaving my way through. When I got to Tom Brady, I know he was exhausted, probably didn't really feel like talking at the moment. But, you know, we had met with him during the week and covered him. And that's why I just said, you know, the producer said, can we go? Can we go? And I was like, yeah, let's go. And that's what I was like, Tom, we're, we're live on Fox. You know, so, you know, if you're going to blow me off, you know, you're going to have to <laughs> blow off the entire audience because, you know, this is, you know, this is a historic moment. And he was very cool about it. I remember that was the early year that the deflate gate and his mother had battled an illness through that the, during those weeks leading up and she so she was okay and then he pulls out this tremendous comeback so there was, was more there than just a great comeback and he was very gracious although exhausted and cooperated in the interview and again you you think I, I don't want to hold him too long here but I just want people at home and really Michael I think and uh, those are some of the best moments if you're not invasive to a player a coach a driver right after the, the event is over when they win you know when the guy trumps out of the car I mean that's you get the raw emotion if you wait and talk you lose some of that and I think people, whether it's tears of, of joy or, or unhappiness because of something, uh, I, I think as much as uh, live television, we can show that. 
and, and somebody's willing to talk, I, I think that's an important thing. So that's kind of the, 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 the long version of, of, of getting to Brady and, and that moment. It'll always stand out to me, and I'm, I'm grateful to him and the crew for, uh, for making that happen. Is it your favorite moment of, of all time? But, I mean, I, would, I know that's a very difficult question to ask. It's a question I'm getting from Twitter. What, what moment in your amazing career stands out the most? And I'm, I'm thinking about talking to Muhammad Ali, t- talking to Don Shula, uh, right. John Wooden, the, yeah. the interview on yeah. the field with, with uh, Brady. Uh, is that, are those among the four best? So, yeah, no, and I, I really, you know, Michael, I couldn't pick a favorite. It's like, you know, somebody asked me about who you like working with, you name all the guys through the years, and they'd say, well, okay, there's somebody who I hadn't worked with yet on a full scale. I, and maybe there's other moments coming. I certainly hope that there are. But, yeah, I, and I've always treated, I joke, my slogan has been, as a youngster, every night's the Super Bowl, that that's how I approach whether it's a, another race in Martinsville or another football game in, in Tampa or, uh, you know, a baseball game uh, that's uh, being, being played in the middle of the summer. I, I, to me, if, if you're going to be there, it's, it's that important. So, yeah, but those moments jump out off the top of my head. I, had, I was there as part of the broadcast on some other very difficult moments that they're not my favorites, but they stand out because of the importance. My first year at ESPN, I was a field reporter at the World Series uh, in 1989, between the A's and the Giants, when the earthquake struck and stopped the World Series, I was in Atlanta uh, taping the up-close interview uh, during the 1996, the, the Olympic bombing uh, that, that took place, stayed on through the air, uh, broadcasting overnight. So I turned into a news reporter. And, and I was the first year NASCAR, and you were there, your victory and, and the tragic loss of Dale Earnhardt. I mean, those are, those are moments that, uh, you know, that stick with you. They, they you know... They, they go beyond the, the profession and the job. They're just there. So, uh, uh, you know, good moments, some, some sad moments, uh, but still moments that, that you've lived and, and experienced. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. I could never pick a favorite. I always say it's the most recent one. It's kind of like a guy who, you know, Tom Brady, they ask him about all his World uh, Super Bowl rings. And it's like, well, you know, it's great the first one, but there's, always, there's the next one, and then, you know, there's the more recent one. So uh, hopefully the, the good memories uh, keep happening. Yeah, that's – um, I, I, I probably for 18, 19 years, never watched the 2001 Daytona 500. And yeah. I didn't know what y'all, you know, I didn't know what yeah. y'all were dealing with. Um, and the, 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 I guess just the professionalism, the concern, the, you know, just getting, getting off air with respect with Dale. Um, I've, I've watched it recently a few times just trying to figure it all out but it was done I mean first time on the job Chris I mean you couldn't have been handed a more difficult task and and uh, I I appreciate the way you handled it yeah and and well thank you and you and you know obviously in the wink of an eye in your story but as a broadcaster having gone through some of those other things that I mentioned as a reporter here as the anchor of, of of the Fox coverage of our first NASCAR Daytona 500 race and that happening you, you, you want to give the audience as much, you know, of course, this is the superstar of the sport, as much information as you can at the time, but there, there's a proper procedure to family and to, and to, and to you know, letting people know and the handling of that, even the way visually things were shown. So it was very challenging. You, know, you just do the best you can. But yeah, those moments, uh, they, they do stick with you. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed our chat. I yeah, this was fun. appreciate you hanging out and letting me uh, talk, have a, share a few stories with our listeners. Uh, you can catch us on um, all of Fox Sports 
video um, uh, social media pages. We're on their uh, YouTube channel. So people seem to really enjoy the show and I know they're going to love uh, some of the stories you were able to share with them. So thank you very much. And uh, real quickly though, uh, NFL yeah. preview, what do you think about this Tampa Bay thing? Oh yeah. I think like, I, I always worry about too much hype when they add superstars, Gronkowski, LaShawn McCoy at running back. I like that Bruce Arians is an aggressive offensive coach with an open mind. I think Tom Brady feels like he's been freed in a sense, not that he was complaining about his success in new England, but he gets a, a new lease on, on his football career uh, in his forties. Still he's got game. Uh, they're a playoff team, whether they're a Super Bowl team, that'll be interesting to watch. I think their defense is a little bit underrated, uh, but it'll be a wide open year because with, with Brady out of the AFC, you know, you still have the Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champs, but, but then that changes things for, for a lot of the, uh, the teams over there. And in the NFC, I, you know, you've got a lot of great quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, that can take their teams uh, to great heights. Panthers look like they're in a rebuilding mode in that, in that NFC South where those other three teams have terrific established quarterbacks, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, and, of course, Tom Brady. So, it, so it'll be fun. But, yeah, thanks for having me on, Michael. This was, uh, this was a good conversation. I, I enjoyed it. It was, it, you never, you never kidded me because you didn't care. You were just straightforward. No, don't make me <laughs> fun on, of Mike. <laughs> at least on this show. All right, it's your <laughs> show. I'll be nice. I appreciate you, buddy. <laughs> Man, that was a lot of fun, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us, talking NASCAR and all the other major sports as well. Great stories, great fun getting to hang out with you. Tell your friends about Walter Funfiltered and the wonderful guests we have. Tell them that they can find us on all of Fox Sports social media channels, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. You can also ask questions to Ask Mikey. Ask Mikey on Reddit or any of those social media platforms. Thanks for tuning in to Walter Funfiltered, and we will see you next week.